You're listening to The Masters with Tiffany and Company on Monocle 24. Come with us as we meet pioneers from the fields of design, art, fashion, sport, music and more. Diverse fields, a range of talents. What unites all of these trailblazers is a certain mastery of craftsmanship, of technique, of materials, of innovation to drive what they do. We'll hear about their life and work and hopefully understand just a little bit more about how those notions have shaped them. Maybe too we'll divine a sense of the philosophy that's brought them here and might just inspire us, in however small a way, to follow in their storied footsteps. We've already heard from Reed Krakoff, Tiffany & Company's Chief Artistic Officer, and from the world-renowned tattoo artist Scott Campbell. Today we're meeting the brilliant visionary artist Vic Muniz. Vic is probably one of the world's only truly critic-proof practitioners, and an extraordinary communicator, whether within or without the world of contemporary art. Vic welcomed Monocle's Henry Reese Sheridan to his studio in New York City. Being an artist is just having a profession like any other, like a policeman or, or a, a, a baker. You know, if you don't take it like that, you fail to understand the importance of what you do in society. You see, art has been consistently, since the Neolithic period, about creating tools for us to interact with the immediate environment or the not-so-immediate environment, being it social, uh, natural. You know, what artists do, from the very beginning, from the first Rupestrian drawing, 60-something thousand years ago, he has created tools for us to interact to, to the world around us, to create this uh, interface between what's inside our heads and what is outside our bodies. It's been like that always. Most of my work has been very connected to photography, and I think the reason for that is that it is the medium that influenced me the most. I'm, I'm a 20th century person, and I was born in 1961, and even when you think about art, my love for art history, for instance, comes from the fact that I looked at everything through reproductions. You know, so I didn't ever know the size, the, 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 the scale of these artworks until actually much later in life, I had a chance to go to a museum and see it. I chose to be also a wall artist. You know, my work demands physical presence and de it demands that the person leaves their home physically carries herself to a gallery or a museum and have the experience of walking towards that picture with the entire body. And as you walk, there's a cinematic thing that the image changes, the image evolves and becomes something else. And I'm fully conscious of the fact that there's no such thing as a still image. You, you, you make a change as you approach it. And that narrative is something that I've been exploring since I worked in, with billboards. I never changed. How has your techniques and craftsmanship changed over the course of your career and what factors have have led them to change you know technique is something that it it is born out of necessity i'm a very curious person and it turns out i become interested in my work i, I allow myself an enormous amount of processes process is the most important thing when 
you start making something, obviously you don't know much about it, you know, and you're very curious about it. So it's, you start trying and trying to learn and becoming more schooled, see how other people did it before. And you develop, I develop my own tools, my own way of making things because I'm always trying to do things in a non-orthodox way. Making, uh, for instance, pictures with diamonds. Diamonds are very stubborn little forms. They just jump around. They're very difficult. So you have to figure out a way to work with them. Same thing goes for garbage or caviar or chocolate, you know. And some people say, which are the most rewarding works? As the ones that like, uh, you did, uh, like chocolate, that you need like only half hour to do it. You know? Or the ones you did with little pigments that it took you four or five months to do it. There are different kinds of pleasure. You know? The ones that do very quickly, they happen in time and you feel so lucky to have bumped into something so cool so fast. But the ones that take a long time to do it, you know, you're so happy that you finished it. And the fact that you, know, you can do things that take five minutes to do and take things that take months to do and, and look at them in the same light is quite interesting. For me, craftsmanship, it doesn't matter where you are, but it, it, it's what defines a process being respected. You know, all the way through. So let's talk about specifically your pictures that you made of Hollywood stars with diamonds. Mm -hmm. What does that reveal about process, that particular project? As I said, you know, you, you work with many materials because you're trying to get involved with many processes. At the end, the main material you use is experience. A lot of it is... Uh, being very exposed to an, a wide range of people. And I, uh, I, I work with scientists, I, I work with fashion designers, I work with cooks. I'm interested in everything. I think this is a, it's a condition for you to make interesting work. And uh, once a collector asked me, oh, do you want to come and see what I do? And he worked in the, you know, in the jewel, in the diamond business. And then he looked, showed me like a, a handful of diamonds and he said, do you know what a diamond is? I said, well, I, I kind of know the physically, scientifically I know what it is, but I didn't grow up around them. And he just shone a very strong light on a handful of small diamonds. And I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And he said, do you want to make, it, it was first for charity. I said, do you want to do some work? Do you want to work with diamonds? I can give you a lot of them. And I said, sure. And I kept asking for more, more, more. Until one point, they had like a kilo of diamonds here. And I was, the, my first thing was I was going to make somebody being robbed or a car crash, some things that were different. But then I, I found this was so sophomoric, you know. It's like the most predictable thing, get a diamond, do something bad. I chose to make Hollywood divas because it was the thing that was most connected to diamonds. The idea of eternity is uh, what is inflicted in the, campaign in our consciousness what a diamond is and the idea of eternal beauty so you pick pictures of these amazing women in the prime of their beauty and they stay like that so it's Marilyn, Sophia Loren, Lorraine Bacall and, and, and so on but it was funny then I, I showed I, I, was, I felt so guilty because uh, when people saw pictures of diamonds they wanted to buy them as if they were diamonds and I saw those series so quickly that I, as guilt, I had to make a, a, another series to, to, to be presented with, which are like monsters from Hollywood made out of caviar. <laughs> because a monster is always something that is in the verge of becoming something. It's an identity that's not 
quite there yet. It, it's perfectly exemplified by an egg. But using caviar, was, I found it was very interesting because uh, showing diamonds, you had to show caviar, right? Make work with caviar is just as hard as working with diamonds because it gets spoiled very quickly and it stinks. So you, you, I had to work on a cold surface. So I, I had the, the show was like Diamond Divas and Caviar Monsters. It was a big success. <laughs> You've also said that you, you look to work with people who have specialties which are totally different from your own. Why have you made this part of your practice? You know what, if, if you, when you come to think about it, there are, you, we all wonder and we have an extreme admiration for the polymaths of the past. You know, like, I, for instance, I'm crazy about Leonardo. You know, how can you, you be somebody so turned into the world of his time? You know, he actually worked very little. Most of his work was observing things. I tried to make a big part of my work just being out there talking to people, looking at things, because I think it's very important for the artists to go outside the studio. After the, the Industrial Revolution, the possibility of you, of you being a polymath, you know, reduced dramatically because you, you know, the society sort of like asks you to be this or that, that uh, eternal question, what you're gonna be when you grow up? I remember answering my, my mom, I said, what do you wanna be when I, I, I wanna be a god? You know, I want to do everything. I want to be able to be everywhere. We're not allowed that. And it, it turns out that also uh, you don't have enough time to learn everything. It's, it's, it's so frustrating. But one thing that when you are around people who do fantastic things, you know, you participate even if momentarily to their practice. It's very rewarding. It teaches you a lot of things. One of the things was I work with a lot of scientists all the time. I work with a, a bioengineer uh, named Tao Danaino. And this guy is amazing, you know. And it, one of the things that really, uh, it teaches you that the, the, the processes are not very different from a scientist to a, an artist. You know, it's empirical. It's based on trial and error. But also, it requires an enormous amount of creativity. How would you describe American design? Well, American design is a very balanced mix of pragmatism and fantasy. I think uh, uh, the name that comes first is uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. When he was asked once where his ideas came from, and he said it came from kindergarten. You know, it comes from having this relationship to his child, you know, that he never abandoned. And you can get that in design, even contemporary design, you know, when you see like the round Macintosh with the colors, you know, that when you, you get to the latest design, it's still infused with something childish. The things look not only like what they have to be, but they also have to look like what you wish it would be, something very fantastic about it. But the best part is like, on the other side of this, you have something totally pragmatic and practical about it. This house that the Eames did where they lived, you know, is all made from parts of things that you can buy on a hardware store. They're actually very easy to make. That pragmatism is what makes American design different than anything else, you know. And it, it makes it so beautiful as well. How would you describe Tiffany and do you have any personal stories about the brand? Well, you know, the, you, you get... Uh, uh, Truman Capote <laughs> to begin with, you know, and uh, in the film, 
But I think this, this was my first encounter with the brand. It was through Breakfast at Tiffany's. And it was before I ever dreamed of coming to New York. But when I moved to New York, I remember going in there for some reason, just for curiosity, you know. One thing is like, uh, even when I had no money, I liked jewelry. I liked to look at it, you know, because they're tiny little sculptures and the design, jewelry design is something that is also fascinating. I still walk by the vitrines at Tiffany's because they're little microcosms, you know, they're quite beautiful. And I understand why Truman Capote was so obsessed about somebody being in front of it and looking out at those jewels. But also, when you, every time you are on Fifth Avenue and you see people looking at the windows, you know, why are these objects of desire? What makes them so special, you know? And how do you inject so much desire into a single object? It has to be something beyond value. Vic Muniz in conversation with Monocle's Henry Reese Sheridan in New York. You can find out more about Tiffany & Company's men's collection by heading to tiffany.com and searching for men's jewellery. In the episodes ahead, we'll be meeting more inspirational innovators across the fields of design, art, music and more to find out how they've mastered their craft to become industry trailblazers. Next week, we'll be speaking to the explorer, adventurer and campaigner David D. Rothschild. But that's all for today's edition. Thanks to Henry Reese Sheridan reporting for Monocle in New York and to our editor here in London, Holly Fisher. I'm Tom Edwards. This is The Masters with Tiffany & Company on Monocle 24. Thanks for listening. <laughs>